So you like bold red wine most of the time With notes of fig and raisin You like a cold brew and pitching horseshoes As the sun is fading You like football games and dishing out nicknames The Godfather's one and two But not so fast, we got a podcast We like that too we like that too. We like that too. We like that too. We like that too. Hey, Bon Vivants, welcome back to the We Like That Too podcast. This is Brad Jones. And of course, joining me in a new venue, a new venue for us anyway. We are at the Inlow Estate. I've, I've got a name for this. What? This is the Rathskeller, which I believe in, because it is my basement. Has a little different tone. You can hear a little, uh, little echo down here. A little bit of echo down here. But, uh, the Rathskeller, which I believe in old German is translated as the cellar where you keep your raths. So. You worked on that a long time, didn't you? Hey! 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 We're not just fooling around here. That's you know? right. This is real comedy. We've done 40 uh, episodes. We're, 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 yeah. we're in Ramming This isn't now. our first rodeo. That's right. So what do you know? Uh, well, of welcome, course, the head, Bob, the, the head uh, Bob Vivant, Mr. Keith Enloe. Welcome to the Chateau Enloe Rathskeller. Well, mine and, uh, my, I know it's Chateau Enloe because I have a sign in my wine closet that says that. So My Rathskeller right now, the, the regular Bon Vivant International oh. Media Center, uh, right now is uh, not where we want to be no, doing under, a show. under demolition and it's, reconstruction and somewhere in between, right? Yeah, let's We're just, not going to talk about that. Let's just go right to the wine, let's shall do. we? <laughs> but but first, before that. No, we've got to introduce our guest. You have a special guest. We, we are have a very uh, special guest. We, we are thrilled to have as our guest today Ms. Beth Leonard. Beth is a longtime friend of mine, former theater instructor of mine, and has recently retired from a career in educational theater, and now she's getting some fun back on stage. So we're going to talk about all that. Welcome, Beth. Thank you. Thank I, you. I'm sorry I didn't bring my wrath. <laughs> Well, if you had one, we could scale it right here. That's so, right. Yeah, that's right. That's yeah. right. So Beth is back in central Missouri after an extended tour of duty in Bellingham, Washington. Got to see you recently in a Lyceum production of uh, Sister Act. And uh, that was fun. So welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm, I am delighted to be here. You know, this is one of my first times to Jefferson City area. Yeah. Can you believe that? No, I can't. No, I, can. I don't understand how that happened, I but I'm glad to have had a reason to, to get have, here. We're going to have to remedy that. I so. agree. Well, I have enjoyed your performances that Thank you've, you. we've had an interesting kind of a weird season. We had the first time the Lyceum had a wraparound season because we don't normally do shows in the spring, but we had uh, three because of everything last year. Nice job. Thank you. I loved Murder on the Orient Express. Murder on the Orient Express. I was loved a- doing that. I, I love always, Sister Act, but my I always, dad got to see that and said he raved about it too. He said it was a great show. I love the way they professionally do some of the sets with the size of the of the stage that they've got at the Lyceum. Yeah, yeah. they they really are imaginative up there with the way that they can take every cubic square centimeter and make it and make it look good. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, the, the, Ryan Zerngibble is a, a past faculty at Stevens when I was chair and dean of the school. 
school there, and he is remarkable. Ryan is is a genius. I, agree. I mean, he knows he knows that stage be- literally better than the back of his hand. I mean, he can do anything with you know. As we can't fly stuff either very well there. I don't know if you know that or not. I do. Our ceiling isn't high enough. Did you know that? No, but when why they, when they built that place? Why, if they're going to build a theater, why wouldn't you build it high enough to fly things? Well, now, Keith, are you <laughs> are you going to get logical on us and ask you know poignant good questions it's a good like question. that? Question. I know. A, I already know the answer, and it all comes down to dollars and cents. It so does. It does. I get it. Does. it I get it. So let's drink first. I th- and yes, get things with so the, with the day I've know, had at my rascaler, I think it's time. And, <laughs> and we're going to uh, drink our tears away. And you picked a winner there, Bobby. In honor of Beth coming back home to Missouri and the central United States from Washington, we are going to an old friend of ours. An old good friend of ours. Um, Doug Frost, who is a former guest on the program and actually lives in Kansas City, Beth. Huh. Doug is from Kansas City. Doug is one of four people in the world to hold both his Master of Wine and Master Sommelier certifications. He's a big deal in He's the wine a, he world. He is a big deal. And he started uh, just uh, within the last couple of years a a vineyard in Walla Walla called Echolands. Now, we have had an Echolands wine on the show before. We did their Syrah, I believe. Mm-hmm. They also have a Grenache. But this one is the Echolands Seven Hills Vineyard Red Blend. It's a red table wine. So let's talk about it. This is a 2018 Seven Hills Vineyard Echolands Red Wine. So what are you seeing? Well, it looks like any of... looks like red, red wine. It looks... It's red because of its redness. Yeah. <laughs> we so. get real technical here. <laughs> <laughs> it's not It's not black. It's not inky. It's got a nice uh, uh, deep garnet color. I will tell you this. I honestly smelled this when I walked down the steps. Did you? I did. I could tell that you had opened these and I went, oh, wow. I opened this about an hour ago. Yeah. So it's been in the glass about an hour. Well... Just getting the nose on this, I can tell you that I'm going to enjoy what's in this glass. Beth, we are not experts. We're not connoisseurs. We're wine drinkers. So jump in here. What do you, uh, what do you smell? What do you taste? Do you like it? Well, the aroma is absolutely fascinating. Yeah. And I wasn't sure that it had that. And then when I smelled it, it's, it's really delicious smelling and I, I taste. Yeah, you almost don't have to taste it. Exactly. To, you can taste it by smelling it. Uh-huh. And like Doug's other wines, a lot of earthiness in this. Doug Doug likes uh, wines that kind of smack you around a little bit. Would you say, Keith, his wines are not super smooth? They're, they've got a little edge to them. Uh, and this one does. I, I get some minerality on this one, and I get a little bit of... Uh, this is very smooth. This is not tannic at all. N- Mm. I don't. I don't get a lot of tannin off you know, of this. I get a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I think this is nicer than a lot of table wines, table oh. reds you get. This has no um, boring taste that sometimes a table red will bring. On my palate, I'm not getting much. Uh, much harsh. I'm not saying harsh. Acidity. I'm just. I'm just saying there's a little bit on the top of my roof of my mouth. I'm. I'm getting, but it's delicious. I, you know, you're right. Up top, I do get a little bit. Yeah, just a little, but not in the back of the throat. Right. But I, I, I'm like you, Beth. The, the nose on it, I'm getting a lot of that earth, a lot of that you dirt can, you soil. Can, you can t- taste Walla Walla in that glass. Yeah, you can. Wine. You can. Very nice wine. And this is uh, again comes from our wine sponsor at Barvino, beautiful downtown Jefferson City, Matt Green. This one is about fifty one dollars. So it's a nice bottle of wine. It probably will lay down for a while too. 
It will, and I will say this about the Echolands wines. They're not pumping out a million cases of this a year either. So if you can find it at your particular wine store, you might ask for it because these are this is a small production. I mean, you just started four years ago, four or five years ago. And the Red Blend is a recent release. It's a recent bottling. So I think this is the first time I've had this, isn't it? Is this the first time we've had this? Yeah, it's the first time I've tasted it. I have too. Okay. I've the, done the, the other, other two, two I've tasted it. No, it's that new. It's, it's that new. It's, uh, it's recently out. And you're right. It might, it might go off the shelves very quickly based on his other wines. It wouldn't surprise me. So Keith, this is, this is a really, really nice wine. The more it stays in the, uh, the glass, I think the more it mellows out. Tell us a little bit about the, uh, what's the makeup? Yeah. So the, uh, the blend on it is, uh, 40% Cabernet Sauvignon, 40% Merlot, and then, um, 18% Cab Franc, which sort of rounds out and a little 2% Petite Verdot. So that uh, smooths it out and, uh, and mellows out. So a great red blend. What I would really consider like a classic red blend. Classic actually. red it's blend. Got, it's, it's all in there. Well, you got to figure he knows what he's doing. I've, <laughs> we know. Yeah, he knows. We know he knows what he's, what he's doing. doing. Yeah. Very good. But Echo Land, Seven Hills Vineyard, red wine. Very good. Proprietor, Doug Frost and company. Mr. Doug Frost. Yeah, our friend. We can't wait to talk and to we him will put again. A, we will put a picture on the uh, the website as as usual. You can see what it looks like so you can find it in the stores. We ever talk about the fact we got to meet Doug's daughter? I'm not sure, but uh, she works for Duckhorn Vineyards Duck and Horn is Vineyards? one of their Midwestern reps. And she did a uh, Duckhorn wine tasting for us the other night. It was great. We purchased a lot of wine. <laughs> that night. Purchased. purchased. A, yeah, no, we purchased. We did purchase. And we did you bring it home? or? Yeah. We had it shipped to us. Shipped here, so and it was. uh, was When I opened the bill, I was like, "Holy moly, what did I do?" (laughs) Jones owes me something. (laughs) Jones has got a check for me. I hope. (laughs) All right. So that's the uh, that's the one bottle, and in honor of uh, Bellingham and the state of Washington, that's right. This one comes from Walla Walla. Appreciate it. Thank you. Salute. Salute. So what we like to do sometimes is we're going to get on the way back train here. So growing up. Were you the kid and that always cut up in class and the one that wanted to be on stage and you were the one that, hey, it's kind of all about me or were you one of the real quiet? Some It, go, it goes kind of two ways sometimes. Right. Where they, they blossom later and yeah. find their voice. You, you found yours early. You know, I was the good girl. Yeah. I never wanted to get in trouble. I wanted to the teacher to love me and uh, shy. A lot. And um, so I didn't really come into theater as a child. Um, it was more when I got into junior high and had a wonderful teacher, Johnny McMinn, who um, really introduced me to theater. But again, I was I just hated to be in trouble. Isn't it interesting, Beth, when you get to, to being our age and you look back and you can take a handful of people that made a difference in your life? Yes, sir. Yeah. Uh, it's incredible. You know, I had. I had a couple, I had one with music and I've had, you know, others that I, you know, I never would have dreamt I would have ever gotten on stage and done anything, you know. So those kind of people, you really look back and go, they they made a real difference. And I would imagine after meeting you that you have made a huge difference in the lives of a lot of students. Well, I I was just going to say Beth is one of those people for me. Including this dude sitting here. uh, But when did you get bit by the bug? You know, we call it getting bit by the bug. And I think everybody who loves and, and gets into theater has that moment when it's like, oh. 
really want to do this? Well, I need to tell you something. I originally did not want to do theater. I wanted to be one of the first women sportscasters. So when I gradu- really? when I graduated from KU, well, let's go down that rabbit hole. <laughs> I have always been a sports fanatic. I love football. For some reason, it makes sense to me, as does basketball and a little bit baseball, but but more football. So, But I, at 21, called the Royals front office and asked if I could meet with um, Mr. Kaufman, oh, yeah. Kaufman, because I wanted to um, propose that he add a woman to the sports Casting radio yeah. just for a woman's perspective. At that time, that was not unheard existing. of. Unheard of. He yeah. took a lunch with me. Took me to the <sighs> Royal Stadium Club. Oh my goodness! We had lunch, and I had gone to a game and had taped some women of why they were there, what they liked about baseball or not. And I proposed to him, if you will let me not be play-by-play and not be color, but be there to give a woman's perspective, I'll do it for free, all season. And if it works, you will be the first in this country to have a woman's perspective. And he sat there for about five minutes, and I, I thought, oh, my God. <laughs> and then he said, I'm too afraid. Wow. And I said, I'm telling you, Mr. Kaufman, I, I, I will tell you, this will put the royals on the map. It would have. Yeah, it would have. I said, it's going to happen. Let it happen with you. And he said, he said, I admire your, your courage, I admire, but I just, too afraid. Six months later, Phyllis, Phyllis George, Miss right. America, became the, of course, right. I was not a Miss America, so, no. <laughs> but I was talking radio, it's so radio. it didn't, didn't matter cares? what I looked like. But uh, that's what I wanted to do, and when wow. that didn't work out, I went to Warrensburg and got a master's in theater. Well, you know, that's interesting. Uh, well, for, from that perspective, I'm glad it didn't work out, but it would have been great because <laughs> we got the, we got you at Warrensburg and that's where I met you. But, uh, that is, that is fascinating. Very few and, people know, know that and, story. And now, so. and now you look at broadcasts and there, there are females on the sidelines right. and, and, uh, it, it does bring a whole new perspective to the game. I, I, our local team even has, when they have their summer camp for football, they have a whole night devoted to moms. That's and they bring the moms in and they teach if they don't know. And a lot of moms are very up on the game. My, two, my two daughters are like you. They grew up around football. They know the game. But they teach moms what the, you know, what position does your son play? What does he do? What is his assignment? And it's just, I think it opens a whole new world to people who like the game, but don't know the details. Right. And the more, the more intricacies you know about it, the more you're going to be invested in it. That's a, that's a great idea. I think the interesting thing about that story is though, and it, and somewhat to, to Mr. Kaufman's credit is he told you straight up, he didn't bullshit with you and say, not at all. It's, yeah. or he wasn't patronizing and say, Oh, little girls, you know, we're, you're not, you know, yeah. he, that's so he, correct. He was obviously correct. thoughtful about it and thought, he took me to lunch to the uh, Royal Stadium Club. Yeah. It's an unknown 21 year old right out of, you know, undergraduate with a BS in theater ed. Yeah. And listened to me and really gave me that time. And I've always been so grateful. And, you know, who knows what would have happened if he had said, Okay, I'll I'll give you this season to yeah. set with everybody, but he helped me go on to a career that I have loved 
And um, so everything I've heard about about, about Mr. Kaufman was that he's just he was just an incredible gentleman. Yeah. He, he was he, well, he really, was to me and the Hunt family too. Absolutely, uh, for sure. I yeah. think our Kansas City sports teams are very fortunate to be. I think they are owned too. by the the families. And, I, and, and I think and I think that the Chief Stadium should stay in Missouri where it belongs. Yeah, and we're not going to go there yet, and never that's and never go almost up. political. But and, yeah, I and, agree. And never go across the. Well, I, I I've been to games in downtown when the Chiefs. <laughs> played downtown and oh the old so what was your anyway so what was your link to becoming a sports fan i mean you what, know, how, my, what was your exposure to i was not an athlete my brother wasn't an athlete my father didn't play there's something about it keith i love to play bridge as well and there's something about the strategy of sports that i get and i love and I, I'm partisan, of course, to the Kansas City teams. Yeah, but but I just like the strategy of the game itself. Interesting, and always have as a yeah. as a kid. That's so. cool. Very I'm surprised cool. you didn't become a director because that's what coaching is, isn't it? She is a director. Well, I did direct. <laughs> well, you did direct. I mean, at the, the very beginning, she's, she's you know. directed a lot, but yeah, yeah. That, that is a, directing is coaching. You're it exactly is. That's right. That's true. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. yeah. Um, all right. So you get turned down by Ewing Kaufman, unfortunately. <laughs> And in that, but, but undergrad, you went to KU for I did. undergrad, and, and that's I got my, Kansas University. Yeah, I love the Jayhawks. 2022 National Basketball Men's Championship Division One. Patui. <laughs> <laughs> my brother went to Mizzou, undergraduate and law school, and right, I was here every weekend. So I thought, you know what? I should see another locale. Yeah, that's all right. Well, we can still be friends. Okay, okay. okay you're, you're forgiven. You. We're Thank forgiven. You. We're in different conferences now. We don't have that rivalry well, that's, as much. I know, that's, that's true. true. But, but then uh, I came to Warrensburg to get a master's. There there you go. So, okay, so you come to Warrensburg and uh, became a mule. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So tell us about that transition. What was what was that whole experience? Why what is now University of Central Missouri at the time it was CMSU, Central Missouri State. Right. Why that school? What attracted you there? Because I knew they had a fine theater program and they had um, graduate assistant positions and you could not only teach a class but you could also act. And I knew I needed to get the resume going. And so um, I came and talked to Dr. James Highlander and was uh, convinced that that was the place that I should be. You know, a new theater, a new, you know, a big program. Dr. Ed C. wasn't there at the time. He was away getting his PhD, who who is a mentor to both Keith and myself. So, but I loved it, got a master's in a year, went to Oklahoma City and taught at a junior college there for a year. And then Dr. Highlander called and said, we've got a job opening. Yeah, so I wanted I to get that timeline straight. So yep. you, when you did your master's work at Warrensburg, right. that was not when I knew you. No. That was, and you, then you went away to Oklahoma. For a year. And came, came back. back. And that's, that's when we got to know. When I became you were on the staff. girl yeah. on the staff who got to take notes and make the coffee and get the secretary's <laughs> presence. And oh Dr. Heiler Collin said, you know, oh you shouldn't gosh. be wearing slacks so much because there were 20 women on the faculty at that time at Warrensburg. And I said to him, I teach acting. In the whole university? Oh, my so gosh. So I'm not I'm, – I'm wearing slacks. This was decades ago. Yeah, well, and and yeah. I'm not making coffee anymore, and I'm not taking the faculty notes. And he was like – 
okay. I mean, that's, you know, that's how long ago that yes, was. I that would have been seven, like 74, 75. I'm not sure, 19, because I graduated in 72, but became the young, the young woman on the faculty, uh, in, in theater when Dave Pierbolt eventually came there. I yeah, don't the, think Dave was there my first year. I got there in 70, the fall of 77. Well, I would have been there, I and think, Dave, 75. Dave was there, and you were yeah, there. Yeah, I think Dave came in 76, maybe, yeah. and I, then yeah. I had, been there. Yeah. But you were uh, both fairly new at that point. Very new yeah. and not that much older than the no, students. No, everybody was, uh, the, the, the faculty was still fairly young at that point That's too. So, um, but it was a great, a great crew. That's for sure. We it had a was. strong, strong department. I'm a little bit biased, but uh, you're right. They did have a great theater department and a great oh. theater ed education department. Oh, one of the best in the yeah. Midwest, in fact. I assume it still is. I, I think it is. If you look at high school uh, programs around the state, many, many of them have teachers that graduated and at that from time, that program. I'm not going to say almost all, but I, I would say a huge percentage yeah. had gotten their uh, BS and ed. So we had some great times there. We'll revisit some of that. But not everything, right? No. No, okay, no. Good. We're, not, we're not telling everything. Okay, thank, thank goodness. <laughs> this is, even though we're not regulated by the FCC, there are some things that shall remain unspoken. <laughs> good, good. Thank you. I appreciate it. It was a different time and a different place. It was indeed. It was, but it was good. And we did some great. We did some great stuff there too. We did some wonderful shows. And I, I will, uh, I will brag. I to this day, and I have used this, and I have taught this. One of the most meaningful classes I ever had was a stage voice and movement class that you taught. And some of the things like, like relaxation techniques and focusing techniques I have used with other people in other arenas than just theater. I mean, trying to get kids to focus mm-hmm. and concentrate or to calm down or to relax, go to sleep, you know, help, help rid your mind of anxieties and things like that. So that was uh, probably one of the most, uh, outside of what theater technique, it was probably one of the most useful classes I would say I, t- I took away from there. Well, the again, the faculty were so fine uh, down the line, and uh, I taught a lot of the performance classes um, besides being the costumer, right. which I had no <laughs> talent for, but I was the woman. <laughs> I make it sound terrible, but, no, it, but was, it, it wasn't. It was, it that's wasn't. the way it was. But but, but uh, the thing I appreciated is that I got I learned to direct there. Yeah, and I also got to act with the students and with the other faculty, and that was something that was not again done everywhere. Right. right. And so I I got this huge dimensional training as a young faculty. Yeah. So then you was it from there to Stevens? Well, what happened is that they wanted to institute an MFA in acting at Warrensburg, and so I took a two-year sabbatical and got my MFA in acting directing at UMKC. Mm-hmm. So then I could come back with an MFA, I mean, the degree credibility, because right. Dave also had, Dave Pierbolt also had an MFA. But I had a student sit opposite me one day and said, I don't know what to do. And I said, well, go for it. Don't be afraid, all this. And then when this young woman left, I thought, I've never done that. I've never put myself on the line. I'm telling her to do something I don't know how to do. So I left a tenured position. I had just been tenured, resigned a tenured position, and went um, to professionally direct an act to see what I was telling my students to do that I hadn't done. So I spent most of my time in the Kansas City area. I worked with the rep, um, I was going to say, the Kansas City Repertory is right on campus. Now, my 
my daughter yes. graduated from UMKC. So I acted with them, and I acted and directed with the Coterie and the Unicorn and, right. and most of those those theaters. Regional theaters and, can, and right. in the Kansas City area. Huh? Of course, in, in just real quickly in between, once I got my master's at Warrensburg, I went back to KU and got the, the, all the coursework and, and testing tests for my doctorate. Right. I'm still at this age in ABD because then I was hired. Sure. Um, so, but anyway, that's... I was working at the box office at uh, the Heartland Theater where I had acted, and the chair at Stevens at the time had a sabbatical, and he came and said to me, you know, we've got a guest opening. Would you be interested in coming and take a sabbatical position at Stevens? And so I did, and that got me back into teaching, and I was a guest artist. I was a term contract. I was a full-time faculty. I was tenured. I became chair of theater and dance and dean of the School of Performing Arts at Stevens and artistic director of the summer company. So tell the bomb vivants about Stevens College and what's and what it's known for. It's a fine arts, private fine arts university, but it's got a reputation. It does, and it it is a woman's college, but they do have men now, again, as a conservatory program. It's a three-year, two summer BFA, and they have a professional summer company, again, that I was lucky enough to be the artistic director for 15 years, and in uh, Okaboji, Iowa. Right, you got to spend your summers up in Okaboji. Yes, sir. We did nine shows in 10 weeks, and then a summer children's company that did four shows, so that's 13 shows. We had about 81 people. We had chefs. We had uh, washing and dryer machines. We had 15 acres, and everybody lived on the lot. And I want to tell you, I've talked to people who did that. It's a boot camp. It's yes, a boot sir. camp. Yeah, it is work, work, work. It is hard work. But you know, Keith, I got my training because I was with Dave and Dr. Highlander and Ed as the founding members of CMR. Right. Central Which was Missouri the Central rep. Missouri rep. Yeah, summer we rep program. We started that one when I was yeah. here. So I yeah. had the experience of working there. So then once I left Stevens and went to Western Washington University to be chair of theater and dance there, on my contract was to start a summer company. So yeah. I started Western Summer Theater there that I was so able to pattern. Out, you I did would, it again out in Washington. I, was, Very I cool. could pattern it after the two uh, rep companies sure. that I'd been involved with. We've talked about this, Brad, how repertory theater has changed. Uh, the old days of switching a show out, you know, doing three different shows in a week and doing a changeover every night, at least a lot of them are no longer like that. They do a run of a show and then a run of a show and then a run of a show. Right. And that's fine and good, but it is not the same. It is not the same. And, and that's the way the Lyceum started. Yeah. Right. Well, Lyceum used to be the same And way. the Kansas City rep, or the Missouri rep, when I was there, that's what we were hired to yeah. do. And you'd play one show and then you'd help change the set and then the next right. night you'd play a different show so no it's too expensive now yeah. um and and it's too bad because for actors once your show is over you're looking for a job with a rep you could have for the season yeah and it was and a full do, company yes, the, the whole company and everybody was expected you had your off shows and then you had you may you know have the lead in right. the next one right. you know those old programs were always fun because you had to figure them out because at the bottom of the date they would have you know ca net charlie's aunt right and then exactly. you know the yeah. the next one might have a little m you know is mame or whatever whatever it was <laughs> yeah. so you yeah. had to look at the little key and figure out oh they're doing this on that day so that's when we want to go up or i've seen that so i guess i better wait a couple right. weeks right go yeah, that. Plan, would, you had to plan your schedule the yeah. nice thing was if you were in town for the weekend you could catch 
yeah. the whole the whole rep. You could see three and sometimes four right. shows. And the only difference is that when they did Nicholas Nickleby at the rep, which I was fortunate enough to be to be in, um, that was you know an eight hour production an that that was, didn't two, change. The two nighter was that a two or three nighter? It was no. two, and but but on Saturday and Sunday we did part one, dinner break, part two. Yeah, matinee and then uh-huh. evening. Yeah, yeah. Wow, I went to um, Utah Shakespeare Festival last year. And so it is sort of a rep company, but they, ha- but they have different stages too. So they have different venues. It is a company in that they will use the same people in different shows. Right. I got to see uh, Bailey Maria, who is a friend of ours, former guest on the show, mm-hmm. uh, spent last summer out there and did ragtime and then also did Pirates and Pen Saints. Right. So she was in two shows and, and it kept her busy. I bet. I think she understudied for a third show. Really cool, but it's, but it is different. It's not it those is. changeovers every night and, and, uh, from an actor's and performer standpoint, that was that was that's grueling. That's pretty grueling. It is grueling, but, but challenging. But again, it was security. Yeah. Yeah. Because you knew you were hired for a certain period of time as opposed to once you play three performances or four or whatever in the shows, then you pack up your bag. Yeah. And- yeah. So how long at Stevens? You said 15 years at Okaboji. Yeah, it was about 25 years. Mm -hmm. And then my mom passed away. Yeah. I kind of looked around and thought, you know, there has to be life at 60, whatever I was, beyond this place and beyond what I've been doing. I don't want to use any yellowed notes. So I was online and I saw this picture of this beautiful place. And the campus was absolutely gorgeous and had all these you know, uh, sculptures. And they were looking for a chair of theater and dance. So I just sent my stuff in. Lo and behold, I got to be in the last three. I'd never been to Seattle. I'd never been to the Pacific Northwest. I had no clue where Bellingham, Washington was. <laughs> I had to look it up. I'm sorry. Oh, oh please. I'm it's, glad you know, I did. It's 90, 90 miles north of, Boy, of Seattle. Were, but it is gorgeous. And when I got there, I thought, this is so beautiful. But, you know. It's almost closer to Vancouver than it is Seattle, It's very isn't close it? to Vancouver. It's yeah. like, uh, what, I don't know, 20 some miles from the border yeah, yeah. of of Canada. Yeah, it's gorgeous up there. It's absolutely gorgeous. And and I was delighted to get to get the job and of course when I got there I I had to rent a little cottage on uh Craigslist and I didn't know how to get to the school. I didn't know <laughs> where anything was. I mean, they didn't have you out there to interview or anything? Oh, listen, it's like pledging a sorority, you know, once, please come, we love you, and then once you're there, it's like, see ya. <laughs> well, oh, oh, where's my office? <laughs> <laughs> but the first thing I did, I got a vet for my dog, and it took me forever to get a doctor for myself, but yeah. it's so incredibly beautiful, and Western Washington has a wonderful theater program and dance program, and so I, I felt at home, you know, right away. So, and it's tough to get there from any place else. Right, right. Right. Well, well, Stevens has a very strong performance theater program. Yes, it does. Uh, performing arts program. Mm-hmm. Um, how would you describe then Western Washington's program? Western Washington has the BA. Okay. And philosophically is not married to a BFA training. Okay. Interestingly enough, their acting sequence is a BFA training sequence, but they prefer that it's very much that Pacific Northwest mentality. They prefer students come, that they take, they become a global citizen, right. they get a, a broad education, and then if they want to do theater, that's fine. But it's not, at, at Stevens, you come for the for program. Very specific, Again, yeah. you're there three years and two summers, two summer experiences, and you have a BFA in acting or, or yeah. design in that amount of time, and then you are expected to go out into the world. Yeah, and they don't even have a BS in ed. So in your in your path, you were exposed to a 
program that was heavy emphasis on theater education mm-hmm. at CMSU. Yes. Then chaired and participated in more performance-based. Total performance, yeah. uh, p- professional uh, training. And then more of the well-rounded uh, citizen of the world. And if you like the arts, get involved in the arts and do do your thing. Now, they do have, uh, Western has students who, who are on Broadway right now. Yeah. They, they It's that fine. But philosophically, it is totally different from, you know, you need to be politically savvy. And that's not saying one side or the other. That just means whatever you're you know, you need yeah. to be educated as to why you think something. Right. And right. that's the Pacific Northwest. I mean, there, you know, you're not allowed any plastic containers and, and they, they recycle. I mean, you're a bad human being if you don't <laughs> recycle. I mean, it, it, it is way. Yeah. Yeah. And then coming back to Missouri, it's like, ooh, game. Yes. It's, uh, we're not in Kansas anymore. Did you, did you get a chance to do shows your, Self out there. Yes, then? I did. And is there a, other than the university? Then is there other regional yes, theater? Yes, uh-huh. there's a, well, a Seattle, several I'm professional sure. companies in Bellingham itself. Oh, okay. and wow. so I was able to direct at one of the professional companies there, and then I was able to act at, at another one. Oh, nice, nice. So, and I was able to act in our summer company that. You know, if you start it, you yeah. I'll do what I want. <laughs> I own it. I get this role. I, get the, the, you I know, am entitled uh, to do my own show. Again, philosophically, you know, just the same as any place. You don't want a eighteen-year-old or twenty-year-old to play somebody sixty. Right. You know, the minute right. you see that eyebrow pencil come out, you know, it's like <laughs> no, no. So I was able to play, you know, like a Lyceum, all the old old lady parts, which I'm. Delighted to play. It's interesting how your theater career changes as you age. You know, in educational theater, you're somewhat handcuffed by the your resources. Right. You have you have to have people playing non age appropriate roles right. because you don't have old people. You don't have right. eighty year olds in college right. in most cases. It's kind of fun to to come back around and be able to play some roles that you might have played younger and then get to play them as a age appropriate. Well, Amanda in Glass Menagerie is an, a great example. Yeah. Um, and now the Lyceum casts me perfectly. I played Yenta, mm-hmm. um, and of course the princess in Murder on the Orient Express. What was your and first? M. What was your first Lyceum show? Auntie M. Auntie M. Wizard of Oz, uh. and then Yenta I played, and then I did uh, the, the the old lady and sister act, and then yeah. the princess. Yeah. And so, uh, Quinn Gresham is a master of casting. He's someone, and it's some place that people are dying. To get back to, and I mean people who have New York big time credits, and if they get offered something in Arrow Rock at the Lyceum, they will drop everything. And I have many friends who will say that they can't wait to get back to the Lyceum. And is I don't it, mean this to be an advertisement. No, no, but, no, but no I advertise all the time. I'm on the board. But it is the place that you want to work because of Steve and and Quinn, and they're not only excellence, but they are human beings, and they never treat people poorly. And you, again, along with Emily, um, you are treated as the professionals that they expect you to be. And if there's any difficulty, you can go to them. But I I, I never had any difficulty there because it's like working in Nirvana. It really is. So. The environment itself, I mean, the people are great, but the environment is Arrow Rock, Missouri versus New York City. It I mean, is. Unless, unless you thrive in it that is kind a com- of chaos. It, it's a complete decompression yeah. for a lot of those actors that come. That's right. I mean, frankly, it was, it, for up until a couple of years ago, it was hard to find, to get even Wi-Fi up You there. still can't get yeah, it I mean, very well. places that I know where you, you have stand. to walk down the yeah. street to get yeah. it. But right. you know what? They do and don't care because of the care that they're given. The costuming is brilliant. 
everything, every element. And, and again, I know you didn't bring me on to no, talk no, about no, this. No, this actually, I kind of did. Actually, did. did. Yeah. Do you realize that that little theater in 19, we had almost 45,000 people attended shows at the Lyceum Theater. And that's, that's some of our concerts and things too. But I tell them all the time, I said, there is no earthly reason why this theater should exist and thrive the way it does in the middle of nowhere. I mean, Arrow Rock has 57 people, but they manage and they run it so incredibly well. And given what, you know, what you said, it just makes my heart sing because, you know, I kind of wonder if some of these younger kids are like, Oh my God, I'm going to Arrow Rock, but no. That's not the way they say it. Once they get there, yeah. they are desperate to come back. And, and I include myself, so I'm hoping that I, there's something for me. Well, Mom and Dad have been going but, for years and years and years, and I've had season tickets now for the last three or four. And and it is fun to see some of them come back. And you go, oh, I remember she was well, in And you know, in the heart of COVID, not one person in the acting company was test positive. Not one person in the company that I was in because yeah. we were tested every Tuesday and Thursday. We were demanded to wear, or contractually demanded to wear masks whenever we were not allowed to do some things. And people did it religiously and we never had to cancel a show. We never had to have an understudy. I mean, that's the kind yeah, of they, place they took care of you guys. that, that yeah. they run. And yeah. again, I, I hope that Quinn and Steve never leave because they are quality people <laughs> and quality artists. I mean, oh my yeah. gosh, they, Quinn asks, acts and does sound and projections and yeah. anyway. When Quinn picks his spots, because Quinn can pick his spots, you know, when he can do whatever he wants. And so the spots that he picks, he is always so spot on. It's just, it's, it's fun watching. Well, and Quinn, I expect that $20 be coming my way soon. Since that's, I've, that's such right. Nice thing. The big $20 bonus. There you go. You need to hold out for more than 20. Yeah, well. <laughs> hey, Bon Vivants, don't go away. We'll be right back. Hey, Bon Vivants, you know when We Like That Too was launched, we knew very little about what was needed to promote the podcast online. That's right. So we turned to Greg Arnold at GAA Consulting. GAA Consulting was a lifesaver helping us get things started. Greg is a small business owner who loves helping small businesses grow. He takes the time to listen to your business goals. GAA Consulting will custom design your website and create a digital marketing strategy to help you reach those goals. Every project is tailor-made to meet your small business needs and preferences. And Greg can teach you to manage things yourself, or you can hand things over to him and he'll lighten your workload. You know, if your business needs help building an online presence, visit GAAConsultingLLC.com. That's GAAConsultingLLC.com. Custom solutions for your small business needs. And thanks to Greg for sponsoring the podcast. Hey, Bon Vivants. Now back to the nonsense. With your experience in the different realms of theater, what are you seeing or what do you think is coming down the pike trend-wise in both educational theater and maybe regional-based theater? You know, there's always going to be New York. There's always going to be Broadway and off-Broadway. But, you know, what what do you, good, bad, otherwise, what kind of trends or what are you seeing in the theater world that excites you or worries you, anything like that? Well, I am I am worried about the legitimate stage, the live theater. The film will always be fine. But live theater, I think, is going to have some difficulties for all kinds of reasons and social pressures. Um, casting is, is difficult right now. 
uh, getting a play produced is so expensive any anywhere. I worry about our younger generation of talents who expect um, more than, um, <laughs> I don't know quite how to say this politely, um, they need to work a little harder. Yeah. Well, you know, it's not easy. Theater is a hard business and you have yeah. to work all the time. And it's not, oh, I'm tired. You work until it's done. And it's not, well, that's not in my contract. That's not in my, the, theater cannot survive that way, it, which is why another reason I'm glad to retire and get back into professional theater because even in academic theater right now, it's very difficult. I, I just had a, f- a friend who's a TD at another institution and said, nobody showed up for uh, tech work hours today. And I wrote back and said, oh, my gosh, I'm so sorry. They're sick. I said, no, they just don't want to come today, and that happens all the time. That is something that would not ever happen in no. in a past. So, And, I again, I don't want to smack on young people because they're terrific and they're the, the heart blood of what's going to happen. But live theater demands that kind of blind dedication and hard work, and it's the, the performances are so not the thing. <laughs> it's important. It is the the process, working as a company, and I think that mentality is is in danger yeah. right now because maybe because of the last two years. I worry that we're not going to honor the playwrights of the past that we're going to be so interested in something that the ink isn't dry yet. Young playwrights who try to say everything in one fell swoop and and don't really <laughs> hone the, yeah. their message. And that's what I'm experiencing. And so I, I, I worry about that just a little bit, that we're not looking at the the Ibsens, the Tennessee Williams, the, you know, the heart blood. I agree. And I'm not happy to hear you say that, but I know exactly what you're saying. I, I sometimes worry about the exposure to theater. From an audience perspective, whether you're going to get involved in it or not, do we have, are we exposing young kids to the theater experience, to the live theater experience? Everything's on a screen. Everything's on a a phone or an iPad. We we certainly are not going to be able to produce theater if we don't have people who are passionate about it and want to get into it. But you know what? Theater without an audience is not theater. No. It's rehearsal. That's right. And if we can't get people in the seats, uh, not just doing it, but watching it, then we're really in trouble. I, I and, so agree. Um, well, look at the Lyceum. Sorry, go back to the Lyceum. Look at their season. Yeah. It is a season that will bring people in. Right. And has some meat to it. It's not just, you know, the Disneyfication. Sure. It, it has, but it also has something that, you know what? It's not wrong to have a good time. Yeah. You know, it's not wrong. You don't have to think so hard that you go home upset and, you know, it, it's not wrong to have theater that entertains. And no. bring, bring your kids to Shrek. Yeah. Bring your kids to show. We always try to have one that's family friendly and it's so fun to watch. And I agree with you, Beth, a hundred percent. Anything, anything we can do to get the kids theater can re- and or music, arts education to begin with can save a young person. I, I totally believe that. Have seen it I happen agree. as I'm, I know we all have. Yeah. We're, well, we're lost. If we lose the arts, we're lost. We, we are, we are well, lost as a civilization. I agree. Well, and as, yeah. and as I've told kids, I said, you know, there's a whole lot of other people that allow that one actor to be on stage. Yeah. I said, there's a whole lot of other stuff. Maybe you don't want to go on stage. Maybe you're a great craftsman. Maybe you can nail two boards together, yeah. which 
I can't. It always amazes me in the community theater world when you get um, like a young person who wants to get involved and by default, their parents are dragged into it. But it's their parents' first exposure to live theater. Mm -hmm. And when they get a look at what it takes to put together a show, because they say, oh, my kid wants to be in your show. So they come and audition and you cast them and they're like, okay, so what's what we're going to rehearse, you know, this many days a week for this many weeks. And they're like, (laughs) what? Well, what about vacation? What? We're going to the lake. What? The weekend. Yeah. And they're amazed. But what's really fun is then they get bit and then they're involved and they're doing your tickets. Anybody who is handy with a hammer and saw then is in the in the workshop helping build sets. It is a family affair at a community level. And that's really rewarding. Yeah, we got to keep that. Absolutely. We have got to keep that because as great as professional theater is, and I love it as much as anybody most people don't get to that very often. Right. We have to have it at a local level. Well, it's too expensive now. We have to have it Number accessible one. at a local level so people can at least enjoy it. Is it harder now for a young person to, to yes. make it? Yes, because there's no training process. You know, when people were first acting years and years ago, there was a, an apprentice uh, program where you would go and understudy an apprentice and, and learn your craft and maybe get to go on or not, but you would watch the masters. Mm-hmm. And that's why I never worried about acting with the student because I figured even if I wasn't terrific, they might learn something by being there with me. That's what used to happen. Now we don't have vaudeville. I know I really wasn't in vaudeville, <laughs> believe it or not. <laughs> but we don't have any training pattern for them except for university, college kind of thing, and everybody can't afford that. So where do they learn their craft? Um, hopefully, maybe in the community through high the schools, world. Yeah, uh, maybe high you've school. Got but a good high school. So we had we had we had we great. Were lucky. We were very lucky. Well, we had a great high too. school program. So, you know, but you know that's not always the case now. Yeah. Maybe the theater teacher is an English. Pro- you know, that has yes. to, you know, because yep. of budget cuts. Yep. Anyway, I, it's hard for a young person to, to get into it, to learn their craft, to develop. You know, in the, the Asian communities, they don't review actors until they're way in their middle age. They don't allow a young person to have a review and to be smacked around. They, they protect them in that because they study. Um, yeah. I, I think that's something that we have lost is that we don't protect our young actors and give them an opportunity to fail and grow and, and still be okay. Yeah. The people I know who have tried and ha- and are at least working professional actors, tech, whatever they're doing, when I talk to them, the one thing that they always say to me is, it's what I have to do. I can't imagine doing anything else. I don't have any other skill set. I can't not do this. To make it, I think, in the professional, there are people who get lucky and get seen oh, by sure. a, a talent. You hear those stories. They make me want to throw up. Yeah, I was in a bar one night. I never wanted to be an actor. You know, and I just have a great face and some talent guy, and now I'm a superstar. Please, the people I know that are working and making a living at it, they're passionate about it. And I think that's that's what's going to keep the art alive. Well, as you know, when you teach, you say, if you could do anything else and be happy. Do it. Do it. <laughs> exactly. you know, go into pharmacy, sell some drugs. I well, mean, do something that because and you theater can, takes that. And you can still do community theater, but you can eat. You know, and I and I, I you know I made that choice a long time ago. You were and are, I haven't seen you act for a while, but I had the pleasure of directing Keith. And my favorite directing Keith it was Barefoot in the Park with the wonderful Sherry Dimmel yeah, and yeah. Tim Flanagan and, yeah. and in a dinner theater situation. And Keith is a, an amazing actor. And I, again, 
well, seen him. I have helped direct Mr. In-Law. Is that right? We're going to talk, talk about that here in a minute. some of that stuff. But, okay. But my point being that, you know, I, I will always wonder what if, but I don't regret the choices I made because I, I don't think I did have that passion. I can do other things. I have done other things. And I don't think, you know, I made a choice. I wanted to have a wife and family. And, and I, I got to direct that wife. Yeah. Yes. You who did. was wonderful yeah, too. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, anyway, you know, that, those are tough choices, but I, uh, the one thing that I really didn't ever want to happen was we had a, a dear friend, uh, a classmate of mine that he went to New York, went to LA, worked for years trying to break through, was in a, had a small role in a Woody Allen movie at one point. And when he finally was broken and came back home and I was asking him, you know, are you doing any community theater? And he goes, no. Nope, don't ever want to do it again. I never want that to happen to me. Right, right. I never want to be that broken that I would never want to do it again. That would be crushing to me. And so I'll be a big fish in a little pond. I'll be I'll do community theater. I don't care. At least I get a release. But That's you know, my you artistic. make some sacrifices to do it for a lifetime. Oh, I know. You know, all of a sudden, you know, I got to be a certain age and I went, Ooh, I forgot to have children. Yeah. And there are regrets that I have. I know, I know. Uh, not having, you know, a family with grandchildren and whatever. I have wonderful friends and I have a I have had a wonderful career and intend to have more. But there are things that are left in the path yep. as you you try to stay focused and determined um, to to either be an academic theater or in the professional world. Well, that's that's an interesting discussion. So, and we're not through with our no, we're not. One of the things that we do, Beth, that we enjoy the most is our top three picks because Ooh. our whole thing is one bottle, two friends, and three top picks. And so sometimes with our guests, we go completely off type. We ask them a weird top three that doesn't have anything to do with their profession or anything. Right. Not today. No, we're, uh-huh. we're going to stay pretty close to home today. <laughs> today, we're going to stay pretty close to home. So uh, as Keith probably told you, our top three picks are our top <laughs> three favorite playwrights. The the fun thing about and we go down rabbit holes and we it's our show we cheat um, we have honorable you know, mentions we have honorable we mentions because we usually pick topics that are way too broad like like this, this one, one. <laughs> <laughs> we could have done by genre we could have done by country yeah we yeah. we've we've done but we've done some fun ones and it, here here is why we started this podcast we thought you know if we could come up with a top three that maybe they listen to the show this morning and they say hey Brad and Keith came up with their top three three favorite ingenues from movies from the 40s or whatever. What's yours? Hedy Lamar. Oh, okay. okay, well, no, my, there no, you my. go. Hedy Lamar. Hedy. That's Hedy. So anyway, it was a conversation generator. Yeah. And I'm, I'm happy to say I think we've done that a little bit. I, we've had some some cool. anecdotal folks that have said. I think we have too. And the, the, the listeners, the Bon Vivants, love this part of the program. And they love the stories. It's not the, the top ranked. It's your three favorite. I approach this one from that maybe touched my life from a theater perspective. Me too. Yeah. I did so. too. And mine's much more limited. I I've, was incredibly intimidated sitting with the two of you. Um, I, I have, I have Yoda and the student right here. You know, I'm like, Oh man. Okay. But I'm going to give it my best please, shot. Please, I'm and, and, Here's what we do. We let the guests go first and we'll do one at a time and we go around the table and just in no particular order and just kind of tell us who you chose and why. And, uh, so what's your first playwright? Well, my first playwright is Anton Chekhov. Oh, I almost 
he's he, on my honorable mention list. Because he is prescient. In the turn of the 20th century, he died in 1904, but he was trying to tell us to, to guard against killing the wasteland, to, to make sure that we were looking at what there's a, a, a revolution coming. In all of his plays, there's something back there burning, or, or please pay attention, the workers are being mistreated. There is a land that needs to be saved. Um, he's continually trying to, to get us to go forward. And his plays aren't boring. People think his plays, you know, are a straight line, but they're not because what he says is get off your butts, do something, and then we'll go and gripe about something, but we won't actually act. And so Chekhov was saying, get off your butts, do something, whether it's right or wrong. So he's my first favorite playwright. Okay, so this is a nice segue because my first one, let me just give a few stats. Uh, 14 Tony nominations with four wins. Four Oscar nominations. He didn't win any Oscars. He did win a Golden Globe on three nominations and four Emmy nominations. And it's Neil Simon. And the reason, a couple of reasons I like Neil Simon. So the one of the reasons I fell in love with Neil Simon was m- one of my first experiences, I think even before I was on a big stage, was was in a an acting class in high school when the teacher was doing some um, speech and debate tournament pairings and and so she put me and a, a girl in a duet acting piece from Barefoot in the Park. So I did Barefoot in the Park and, and played Paul. I played Paul in scene work and it was the drunk scene on the on the skylight ledge. And so I fell in love with Simon then. First of all, his his ability to set up and write a punchline, you almost can't screw it up. You can't. If you can read, if you can read and speak, you almost can't screw up the beat and the rhythm of the humor. That's right. It's just boom, da boom, da boom, cha ching. You got to be a moron not to be able to do it. And you can remember the lines because they're so natural. Yeah, yeah. but but they're funny. But it's not forced. It's nat. It is. It's natural. You're exactly right. It's natural language. The characters they could be caricatures, but they're not. They're real people. Even the supporting the supporting roles are real people. The the poker players, an odd couple. You know the the name, Mr. Velasco and the mother-in-law and Barefoot in the Park, the nurse and and Sunshine Boys. You know it's just they're so funny. And then the other thing that I really love, one of my favorite Neil Simon plays, is probably not very well known, but it is The Good Doctor. Mm-hmm. And so yes, the audition. That's when I fell in love with Chekhov. Neil Simon introduced me to Chekhov. A sister that's auditioning from the Chekhov piece in The Good Doctor. It's a beautiful, beautiful monologue. That is mine. So, okay. interestingly enough, Keith, I was uh, in the Odd Couple. Is the only only time I've been in the, at a show twice. Obviously, they think the only thing I can do on stage is play poker and drink beer, which is. Pretty true. Call so, that typecasting. It was typecasting. So, but I, um, I really, really enjoyed that show. I've loved all of the Neil Simon shows. I got to assistant direct, uh, one of his lesser known ones, which was Fools. Oh, I know Fools. I, which is, we did it Boji. Yeah. yeah, which is funny, funny little show. It's about a little Russian, vi- no, it's a Ukrainian. It's a Ukrainian yes, yes. village, actually, to be. How timely. To be timely, yes. But anyway, I, I love Neil. Simon and uh, I don't you think Keith and I after a few more years we could probably do the Sunshine Boys. Oh, well, po- I think you could do like, the Sunshine Boys, but right totally, yeah, Porters, of course. Porters and spitters. <laughs> Come in and, and enter. 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 Why not do the odd couple uh, now, though? 
I, you know, I, I got to do the odd couple a couple of years back and I'm, I mean, I'm Oscar, but I begged to play Felix. I wanted to play against type so badly. <laughs> I was like, make me Felix. I think it'd be fun to do the odd couple some. And I think they've done this on Broadway where they switch roles. Oh yeah. Every yeah. night. Uh-huh. They do the, the other role. Right. I think that'd be a lot of yeah. fun. I bet yeah. it, I bet it Playing is. both. Right. So anyway, I love. So you were on Odd Couple Sisters. Played Florence in the female Odd Couple. Oh, the female Odd Couple. I directed the Odd Couple, and I also directed the female Odd Couple with Don Wells from Gilligan's Island and Marshall Wallace from the Bob Newhart show. She played the secretary. So I was very cool. I I think I've directed probably almost every Neil Simon play, and have had the best experience every time. Well, they're great scripts. You just well, he's right. It just you know, it's kind of hard to. To screw them up, um, the and way he audiences wrote. still love them, and they're not dated. No, they're, they're, they're not. They, for the most they, part, they all stand up pretty well. Right. well they really uh, do. You brought me a uh, playbill, and on the front page is Matthew Broderick and right. uh, Sarah Jessica Parker. I yep. guess they're reviving Plaza Suite. Right. I had a ball in Plaza Suite. That's right. Plaza Suite's a great, great script, great movie too. They, and they, that's the other thing; they translate very well to, to the screen. Well, I thought the Goodbye Girl was oh, absolutely oh, one of my girl. favorite yeah, movies, absolutely. and I don't know that I've never. Seen well, in chapter two no. is the goodbye girl has so many quotable lines. <laughs> Are you decent? Yes. Well, you said you were decent. I'm also I naked. I also have to be naked. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's kind of you know the goodbye girl is kind of an actor's movie. You know, there's yeah. some of that stuff you probably won't might not get it. You know, some of that stuff is a little subtle, but if you I, but the I, movie was. Superb! Oh, I thought it was wonderful. I thought it was. Richard Dreyfuss was amazing. Was, again, the, cast, casting the was perfect. The third rehearsal. <laughs> 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 now it's the winter of our discussion. Just walking out. I'm dying here. <laughs> Give I'm me my. You for some help. Give me my hump back. Just, just two stiff fingers. <laughs> Oh, my mother was, loved it. <laughs> my mother, mother loved it. <laughs> oh, all right, Beth. Number oh, two. sorry to break the mood. That's, That's all right. right. Um, my second favorite, really, is Lillian Hellman. Yeah. Um, and and because again, she was really smacking people around as a as a post World War II playwright. And in something like the Children's Hour, that people say, oh, "Well, it's about lesbianism." It has nothing to do with that. It has to do with when you put a lie into the air. It destroys lives. And if we could only understand that in the world in general. I mean, she was trying to, again, and against uh, racism and prejudice in another part of the forest. Um, So Lillian Hellman is unappreciated as a playwright, as a woman writing, I mean, a partner to Dashiell Hammett called in front of the the, McCarthy committee. I mean, she is, is a hero. And she was so distasteful. She was such a nasty, you know, person. <laughs> you can say it. But her her plays are are yeah. worth looking at. Are worth understanding about what happens when again a child puts a lie in the air, and you can never take it back, and it destroys everyone. Yeah. That's what you try to teach students is that just the truth. You know, you can never put the toothpaste back in the bottle. Yeah, that's so right. Lillian Hellman is Little Foxes is still one of my favorite scripts. I just you I, know, I just love it. I think that the Birdie monologue in Little Foxes is yeah. probably one of the best monologues ever written. Yeah, yeah. And unfortunately, we can't really do Lillian Hellman much anymore just because no. it's not castable yeah. in this yeah. day and age. But anyway, I, I like it for what she stood for. So, I, I agree. I, and and my, my second one actually is is maybe a one-off, but it's from personal experience that I chose it. 
and it's um, Yasmina Reza, uh, who wrote God of Carnage, God of Carnage. and Art. And Art is a really a great script. It's uh, wonderful. But I, I was lucky enough to be in God of Carnage. Her ability to write dialogue, just the characters and the interaction of those four characters— Somebody vomits on stage. Yep. That's a first. I think yeah. that's a first. I think that's noted in theater history books as the well, first time and, somebody and, vomits on and stage. And there are directions as how to make that work. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and it's a mess. It it's, is a mess. It's a mess. It's got, but it's got to be controlled. Like anything, you can be a method actor, but you can't stab somebody on stage, right? So you got to control all that stuff. So that's the challenge. Uh, and we did it in a black box theater where the audience oh, wow. was three feet away. And he did a great job. They were in the splash zone. And so, yeah. <laughs> but the whole, you know, this, this downward spiral of these four people as they go through this evening and at my favorite line, fuck the hamster. So, yeah. <laughs> well, it's almost an Edward Albee, Virginia Wolf. It is. Comparison. Yeah, it is. And so, uh, so Yasmina Reyes is one I of my favorite. Her. I went with, um, and you guys will know this. Uh, I went with a Missouri playwright. Lanford Wilson. It was Lanford Wilson. Oh, I adore Lanford Wilson. Let me tell you my good story. I've got a good story. I took an acting for non-majors at Mizzou, and uh, the scene that the girl and I were playing was from Tally's Folly. And it was the intense scene where I, um, I, I had to grab her, and I pulled her towards me, and she pulls away, and I think that was cut. I think that was... At the end of the scene, it wasn't very long, but we, it, I mean, it was, you were kind of shaken when you got through with it, if you did it right. And she runs out of the room. I'm going, what did I do? Did I hurt her? That was one thing I thought, cause she yeah, was little, right, she was a right. little, little girl. And she came back in and the director said, you okay? She goes, yeah, I'm okay. And I'm looking at her. I said, are, are you okay? She goes, yeah. She goes, come here. I said, I said, are you mad at me? Did I do something? Did I, you know, we got, we got a big A on it. I mean, it was, it was a great show, but, um, she comes back and I said, what was, what happened? She goes, my bra snapped when you, <laughs> when you, you, when you grabbed me and, and I busted out laughing. I said, is that all? She goes, well, it was kind of a big deal for me at the moment. I said, I got it. But anyway, but I loved the writing. I loved the writing. And, then, and then I had a chance to be in Book of Days. I was the yeah. cheese guy. So oh, I, I got, I to, do a, I got yeah. to do a soliloquy about cheese. That's a great <laughs> choice, Brad. So those are, those were two that <laughs> I will never forget that scene from Tally's Folly though. That was so, that was so funny. I really thought I'd done something incredibly bad. <laughs> <laughs> You're a beast. You <laughs> are. I guess. So anyway, there we go. Well, my third, again, I'm, I'm an old fart. Um, my third playwright is Arthur Miller. Um, who, again, we know Death of Salesman and, and we know probably All My Sons and, and The Crucible, of course, which has to do again with All You Have Is Your Name. Mm-hmm. And again, I've directed several of them, but the one I enjoyed was Playing for Time, which was the orchestra in the Jewish camp. Concentration camp. Concentration yeah. camp. It was a, an experience that was really revelatory for me. Um, but again, Arthur Miller tries to talk about, again, I guess I'm on this truth campaign that tries to talk about that, you know, if your name is misspelled, it's a personal thing for you. And in Crucible, all John Proctor has to do is sign his name to a lie, and he saves himself and his wife. 
but he can't do no. it. All he has is his good name. And I think about students, you know, when you have Sarah, 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 and Sarah, and they're all spelled differently, and if you spell one of them wrong, it is very hurtful. And so, I, again, I think Arthur Miller is, uh, he is appreciated, of course, in Death of a Salesman, of course, is, is a, a little man after the World War II. But I, I worry that these magnificent playwrights are seen as, as bygone days and not having a, an application to today. And I, I think that's a real mistake. Well, in The Crucible, again, what happens when a lie comes out of the mouth of someone can't be taken back and it ruins lives, it ruins a community, it ruins, uh, you know, destroys a community. It does. Well, Elizabeth, who's known for telling the truth, and he says she cannot lie and to save him, she does. Yeah. Uh, I mean, so it's such a, of course, it's a wonderful play. And the fact that it has nothing to do with witchcraft. No, come on, no, come no. on, you principals. It has <laughs> nothing to do with witchcraft. It has to do with. I, I directed you know, the crucible for the eighth graders in town. That was the next year we did the crucible. <laughs> Talk about heavy duty stuff, but it was well received. It was, it was well done. I always wanted to, to, uh, direct on a raked stage. So I designed three platforms. It was minimalist in staging and three raked platforms that actors hate. Oh, it's they hard on me. your thighs. They said, my calves hurt so yeah, bad. Yeah. And it was only raked like a quarter of an inch over 12 feet. I mean, it wasn't much, but it was enough. But, and, but uh, it does bring the show so it does. close yeah, to the it was, it was, it was, it worked really well. So I love the crucible. I will never direct it again. The, the, there's the lines, the language. It's, oh my God! It's brutal. It, it is brutal. It's, it's brutal for the actors. It, it is, but yeah. it's it's an important statement about yeah. hysteria, mass crowd hysteria. Yes. yes. That we ought to Group maybe think. be yeah. paying attention yeah. to. Yeah. So those are my three. I I like it. I and I'm going to do some honorable mentions. Uh, Arthur Miller was one of them. I kind of didn't go other than Neil Simon. I kind of didn't go to you know like Shakespeare's an obvious you know. Um, Albie Moliere, Tennessee Williams, I threw in that group too. too. And even some, you know, Sophocles, some of the, the, the great Greek and Roman playwrights, but. Well, a new place, Lauren Gunderson is, is an amazing young playwright. If you know anything about her. I know the her. name. I'm not familiar with the work. I mean, but, but she's, yeah. she's hot. But my third one is, and I don't know why I almost, I tried not to pick this one, but the shows kept coming back to me and it's Oscar Wilde. Oh. Oh, good, good, because I thought we were going to double up on the second one, too. No, and it's not because, um, I mean, uh, certainly, you know, um, you know his well-known shows, but the the one one of his favorite scripts of mine is An Ideal Husband. Oh, yes. And I just love An Ideal Husband. I think it's it's great. His command of the language, his his double entendres, his biting, stinging, piercing humor, but it comes off as flowery, and you, he's like... um, the dowager on Downton Abbey, Mag- yes. the Maggie Smith character. Yes. She can cruise, she can slice you up with a smile yep. and you don't even know she's doing it. And it's just that precise control and mastery of the English language. I just love Oscar Well, we never have Noel Coward without him. Well, right. Yeah. And, that, and there are so, others like that, but mm-hmm. I think, I just think Oscar. And the other thing about Oscar Wilde was talk about persecuted. 
in his oh, time. his life. His life. Yeah. He, he lived under, he, he did jail time. Oh, well, it killed, and, it killed him. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I don't think he hid his homosexuality. And that was, first of all, that was something that you didn't do back then. And you certainly didn't come out. And he was kind of out with it. Oh, he was. Well, yeah. you know, the Marquis of Queensbury that did the the boxing rules, his son right. was the one that, right. that Oscar Wilde had an, an affair yeah. with or a partner, a, 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 par- a partnership, I believe. Really. Yeah. And, uh, so he yes. he was a rule breaker. He had great courage, but just a master of the language. I agree. Yeah, I, I agree. just love Oscar Wilde. That's perfect. That's a perfect yeah. choice. Good choice because it's not the same one that I did. Okay. So, <laughs> all right. um, I chose David Mamet. Oh well, Mamet. Uh, so, oh please, um, yes, Oleana. And, and for a very personal reason, I think one of the the greatest theater experiences I had was I got to be in Glengarry Glen Ross. I was Williamson. Uh, and, uh, and, and again, in our favorite black box theater where you had people, <laughs> the audience is as close as you and me. Um, and I got to act with somebody that I've always really admired. He's, he was an actor in his earlier days. And so I opened the scene, you know, with he and I sitting right. at this table. I was petrified. I'm sure that, that am, language is not easy. Well, I learned so much about about Mamet and the way he I writes. Hate, I hate Mamet. <laughs> yeah, it's well, not it's not easy I can language. Speed the plow. And We're going to get like a nightmare. See, I was, oh. speed the plow. See, I was the assistant director on Speed Speed the Plow, and he did an absolutely amazing job. Have you guys written. done Oliana? I'm, I'm not. No, I don't think. I don't, so. think okay. I don't think it's been done around here. No, well, it should it, you, you should do it if you can. I'm sorry to interrupt. No, the, you. The, no the, the, the thing about Mamet that if you just learn this right at the beginning is it's almost a song the way. Way he writes it is you know you can almost put a metronome to it he never finishes a sentence yeah. what makes it so hard is he writes it the way we talk yes and so everybody steps on everything so the pacing of it is so critical because if you don't have the pacing it is just gonna lay when there. you can't add it's lip. just gonna no, no you can't no. that's what makes it difficult but when it's done well that's what makes it so real is it is everything's clipped cut off you know ellipses 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 it's it's like nobody ever finishes a thought and you're cutting each other off but that is the way we talk we interrupt it each is. other all the time but it's very difficult for yeah. actors actors really oh. talk about how much it's a it's, it's crazy difficult. it's a nightmare but Beth the funniest Funniest thing that they did was they, they. T- <laughs> I wonder if you're going to tell this story. Yeah, yeah. They they taped it, and so the guy that taped it went in and edited it, and he edited the fus, hundred and forty of them in. And they're just that's mammoth. If you don't want to have that, <laughs> yeah, I know. But this this edited this it's just like it's all these different intonations and interpretations of and every character's got yeah, a few. And yeah, and it's just they're all together. It is a scream. We play it at, at well, cast uh, parties. Be mostly nothing then. Yeah, it was just. Uh, I got to tell you guys a quick story, real quick. That's yes, what this that is happened, all about. That happened to me two years ago before COVID. I was directing Pride and Prejudice at Western, and it was the first night on stage, and they they had lowered the the orchestra pit. And I was talking to someone facing upstage, and I turned to talk to my stage manager downstairs, and I tripped. And you know how you, when you trip, you you pick up pace to try to catch yourself. I fell headfirst off of the stage onto a concrete floor, oh my. shattered my left shoulder, broke my right arm, had surgery, had a piece, and somebody else had to 
finished blocking the show. Oh my gosh. That was my experience with Pride and Prejudice. Well, that makes oh. you feel better. So that Jim, just Jim, happened Jimmy Buffett years. walked right off the stage well, in Australia I, I, too. I, I, so I, know, <laughs> I know some people have, but it, it, it does happen. It can, oh, yeah. ha- it we, can happen. When we did, uh, the Wizard of Oz, we had a little Toto there. Oh, and that's right. Is, it was the first night there, and they had the pit lowered for the orchestra. I guess the dog, because of the lights or whatever, but he was off leash. You know, we had trained him to stay, but he but he goes and he just he just walks right, right. right off the edge of the, the pit into the orchestra, and like you hear this cymbal crash, and just like... And he didn't even like, he didn't yelp or anything. It was like, but to watch him, it was, it was one of those slow motion things. You know, like, no, <laughs> nobody can get to him in time. Cause he's just, boom, he just disappeared. So when we was did Annie, okay? when we did Annie, oh, yeah, when we did Annie, we had to, uh, but we put him on a leash the rest of the show. Yeah. yeah. When we did Annie, we had to make sure that this, the new theater that's here in Jeff City, when they remodeled it, the orchestra pit is way down there i mean you fall in that thing yeah. and and so we were kind of really careful after the toto experience we were real <laughs> careful to make sure sandy didn't off itself walking into the uh-huh. end of the pit i mean there are all those great opportunities in live theater that happen that you know you don't get you know, know. you don't stop cut you know read no, you can't redo it and you got to keep going you know it's it's uh we can all tell stories about experiences that's, on stage and, that's the fun part yeah. unless you're on stage and then yeah. you lose some uh, years exactly. off your life right <laughs> we've all been there Oh. Well, Beth, this has been well, thank fun. You, thank you. Thank oh. you both for having me. Oh, we're so happy, It's wonderful man. to reconnect uh, with right. you. Hey, well, Bon Vivants, we love you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. Share it all out. And uh, Mr. Enlow, cheers. Cheers. We Like That Too is produced as a labor of love for the enjoyment of Bon Vivants everywhere. To get information about our bottles and links to our guests, go to our website, welikethatpodcast.com. Tune in to new episodes by subscribing on Apple, Spotify, and other popular streaming apps. Please remember to rate, review, and share. And be sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at We Like That Podcast. So everybody, hey, remember the numbers. One bottle, two good friends, and three top picks because we We like like that that too. We like that too. We like that too. We like that too, we like that too.